Welcome to Alumni Ask. On this podcast, you, our University of Queensland community, ask the questions. Alumni Ask is your conversation with the experts. My name is Lucy Blair. I'm a member of UQ's Alumni Relations and Engagement team and your host of this podcast. Today, from our at-home recording studios, we will be discussing the future of Australian tourism with Associate Professor of UQ Business School, Dr. Gabby Walters. Dr. Walters is an expert in tourism marketing, specialising in consumer psychology and reputation management following disaster. Gabby's expertise has seen her consult international tourism destinations on how to revitalise their reputation and regain the trust of the tourism market following a crisis. Gabby serves on several editorial boards, is a published author and recipient of the Centre of Australian Universities Tourism and Hospitality Education Fellows Award. Dr. Gabby Walters, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Firstly, I just wanted to start by asking, how are you? It's a crazy time at the moment. How are you coping? Oh, look, um, I'm getting a little bit sick of being at home, but that's the way it needs to be. I'm not looking forward to homeschooling next week as well as doing my own work. But again, that's the way it needs to be for now. But I'm hoping that, you know, domestically things are going to start to turn around sooner than later. Yes, yes, same here. So before we ask our alumni questions, would you like to explain your role at UQ and your research background and expertise in your own words? Certainly. So I'm an associate professor with the business school and I sit within the tourism discipline. So all my teaching as well as my research is very much centred in tourism and hospitality. I teach entrepreneurship at undergraduate levels and I teach research methods at postgrad level. In terms of my research background, I have been working in crisis and disaster management recovery for just over a decade now. And my research originated around the time of the Black Saturday bushfires down in Victoria in 2009. I was on the destination board at that time and that as a lot of people might recall, that was a significant event and a very sad event. And one of the questions that came from that was, well, how do we reach out to the tourism market and how do we get people to come back and support our tourism industry and help with our recovery efforts? So that was what piqued my interest in in this particular area. But prior to that, my PhD was in consumer psychology and also around looking at how tourists respond to different types of messaging. So I think everyone listening at home would have a pretty good understanding of what's happening with the tourism industry at the moment. However, if someone happens to stumble upon this podcast sometime in the future, could you please provide a brief overview of what the first few months of 2020 has meant for Australian tourism? So 2020 has been a nightmare for tourism everywhere, not just Australia. But of course, today we're focusing on Australia and within Australia, with the bushfires at the beginning of the year and then COVID-19, I would have to say this is probably one of the worst times in history for our tourism sector. According to Australia's Tourism Transport Forum, the economic loss for our tourism industry, as long as this current situation persists and the restrictions continue, could be as much as $9 billion a month. And $4 billion is from lost international visitation and then another $5 billion from the domestic travel market. 
Okay, so considering all that has gone on, we threw out the topic of tourism recovery and the future of Australian tourism to our alumni community and asked them to submit their questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so to kick us off, Krista, a 1992 Bachelor of Business alumnus, has asked, are there any examples of how long it took domestic travel to begin again following other pandemics? Right, so this is a little bit difficult as the nature of COVID-19 leaves us in unprecedented circumstances. When we look back at SARS, at MERS, the swine flu, tourism didn't really stop it didn't affect the tourism industry like this most recent pandemic has. So it's very hard to look back at those events and extrapolate from what happened then to predict what's going to happen now. But I can, through a study I've just finalised, speak to how Australia is likely to recover. And that is sooner than we anticipate, I'm happy to say. The data just collected last week uh, has indicated that a significant proportion of Australians are going to travel domestically as soon as they are assured it is safe to do so. And that assurance is, is going to come from the government. So my advice around this, however, is that slow and steady will win the race as destinations really need to think about how they're going to manage the demands that could be in front of them to ensure that host communities are not put at risk. And I'll speak to this um, perhaps a little later. Okay, that sounds good. It sounds a bit positive that, that sooner rather than later we might be back up and running at least domestically. I think so. Okay, great. So Zachary, a 2011 Bachelor of Engineering alumnus, has asked, in the short term, what will happen to a tourism-centric city such as Cairns, whose economy and jobs rely heavily on international tourism? So any destination that relies heavily on, on tourism, whether it be international or domestic, are in a bad situation right now. Fortunately, the government has been extremely responsive to our tourism sector, introducing financial lifelines such as the JobKeeper package, as well as some states have offered tax breaks. Larger organisations with, with high fixed costs and little room for diversity will unfortunately be the hardest hit. Though we do find and I know this through my teaching in my undergraduate course in entrepreneurship, that smaller businesses, and that is those that make up 96% of our tourism industry, are often able to ride out these incredibly tough times as their costs can tend to be more variable. But then the lack of income can be incredibly difficult. Cairns and other destinations in Northern Queensland may show signs of resilience as they have weathered many storms, or should I say cyclones in the past, and are perhaps better equipped to deal with crises, although I'm by no means underplaying the severity of what the industry is going through right now. Food outlets can still generate some income through serving takeaway meals, and with people staying at home and not having the opportunity to spend their money, we might see more expenditure on the luxury of, of not having to cook, which would be a bonus for those um, small food and beverage outlets. In the short term, for cans, Domestic tourism is going to be the answer, and I'm predicting that Australians are going to want to rediscover and become reacquainted with the natural beauty this country has to offer, as opposed to taking their holidays overseas. Yeah, definitely. I was lucky enough to go to Cairns earlier in the year, and I can 100% recommend it as a beautiful place to go domestically. 
it is indeed lovely. Yeah. So another Cairns-related question has come in from Heather, a 2014 Bachelor of Communications graduate. Heather says, during this pandemic, we have heard how the Great Barrier Reef has had its most widespread bleaching ever recorded. How will the tourism industry factor environmental issues like this into recovery efforts? If this question refers to the nexus between tourism and environmental damage to the reef, tourism involving our natural resources in Australia is very highly regulated and in fact, possibly more a driver of the protection of our natural wonders as opposed to a threat. Most operators you will find will do the right thing when it comes to showcasing our natural assets. And there are various accrediting agencies to ensure this is the case. The very fact that I haven't come across this news myself, but thank you for sharing this. And the fact that the reef has had its most widespread bleaching in this really quiet and tourism time is probably support of the fact that tourism isn't the reef's biggest enemy. Hmm, that's good to hear. So leading on from that, Axel, a 2009 Bachelor of Business Management alumnus, has asked two great questions. The first, what is the short-term plan to reactivate tourism in Australia? Encourage domestic tourism. And we're hearing messages from Simon Birmingham, Australia's tourism minister, already to that effect. However, crowd management and carrying capacity that is how many people can be present at a destination at the one time, we need to be carefully managed to avoid putting our host communities at risk. We could manage this through caps on accommodation providers, for example, so 50% occupancy caps. We could limit bookings and numbers in our food and beverage outlets to ensure communities don't become overwhelmed. And travellers can also retain the social distancing requirements if necessary. So my recent study has demonstrated that people will avoid crowded areas post-COVID. So our tourism industry really needs to remain mindful of this and think about how they're going to manage that influx of domestic tourists. So... Axel's second question is, how do we convince tourists to visit Australia? If we're talking about convincing domestic holidays to holiday in Australia, easy. They won't have a choice in the short term. Actually, my studies in this space look specifically at tourist motivation. And we've found time and time again, regardless of the crisis, that Australians are extremely altruistic when it comes to supporting our domestic tourism industry and the economy. The news reports regarding the devastating impacts that we're seeing around COVID-19 and the effect this has had on our beloved tourism industry will actually do a lot for domestic tourists who are wanting to do their bit for the economy and their fellow Australians. So we might say that the media is being very negative at this time. However, the attention that the tourism industry is getting and, and the people in the tourism industry who are at risk of losing their jobs or have been stood down or the businesses that are really struggling, that kind of news really pulls on the heartstrings of Australians and, and that could lead to positive outcomes for our industry. So in that respect, messages that speak to that altruistic motivation, such as what we saw not long after bushfires early this year, in that small window before COVID, around now is a good time to travel locally, will work. You know, the industry needs you more than ever. Come and help us get back on our feet. Those kind of messages will resonate. 
Do we need to do anything differently for the international tourism market as they won't have that inherent loyalty to Australia that we do? I think when the borders are open, Australia will be a destination of choice for international travellers, particularly because of the way that we've responded to this crisis. Now, if you look at the figures globally, Australia and New Zealand, for that matter, are both doing extremely well in terms of how we're recovering and how we've managed to flatten that curve. When people are considering their international destination choice set, I think Australia will be up there in terms of their preferred destinations, particularly as people will think carefully about where can I go where I'm likely to be most safe. And the fact that we're an island and we're relatively isolated will really work in our favour. So international demand, I think, will come back quite strongly when the borders open. However, there's going to have to be some regulations I'm not sure what they'll be around how international tourists can access us. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll just have to wait and see. There's so many unknowns in this situation. There is, yeah. yeah. Melanie, a 1993 Bachelor of Business alumnus, has asked, how will destinations stand out amongst other destinations as they restart without capital and in only a domestic market? That's a, a really interesting question. And I can tell you right now that the standout destinations are going to be those located in coastal regions and also those regional destinations that are based inland. So cities, unfortunately, in the short term, based on what the research has told us, aren't going to be a destination of choice for domestic tourists. The answer to the question around how does a destination restart without capital, the answer is again going to be slowly the industry needs to ease back into gear. The JobKeeper payment will be an extraordinary help as many of our employees would have been either kept on light duties or stood down temporarily as opposed to losing their positions entirely. This will make the reinstatement of employees a lot more efficient and a lot less expensive as operators won't need to go through that process of recruitment and selection. The JobKeeper payment would have also helped to keep staff in those regional areas who, even in normal times, find it really difficult to recruit staff from outside the area. Again, businesses with low fixed costs will return to business quicker than those who may have unfortunately spent any spare capital on simply keeping the business in existence. For those in that situation that have had higher fixed costs and are struggling with rent and just managing to keep the business afloat, They'll be best to aim for a high-yielding market, perhaps they're loyal markets, people who are frequent visitors to that region. They might be prepared to pay higher prices in the short term to ensure the recovery you know, of their favourite destinations and, and their most preferred providers because they don't want to see them fold. So the loyal market might be the answer for those businesses who really just need that injection of income to keep afloat. Daniel, a 2012 Bachelor of Arts and International Hotel Tourism Management graduate, reached out via Instagram to ask, will there be a spike in visitation post-virus? Or will this staggered approach to lifting travel restrictions, intrastate, interstate, international, mean that supply will outstrip demand and result in a price war involving unsustainable business models, such as undercutting and discounting? How do we nationally ensure we don't devalue our industry? I don't think we will see a price war. 
And based on what I've learned through my many years of research in this area, discounting is not effective and I would strongly discourage operators from doing so. Value adding is a lot more effective in this situation. People don't want to think that their experience might be compromised and that can be the result of, of making something cheap. But if you value add at a, a price that communicates value, then that's going to be a better option. Interstate and intrastate tourism will be the main driver behind the recovery of the industry. Internationally, we are a fair way off that prospect. And while I cannot see the future, my hunch is that international borders will remain closed or conditioned until the world has this under control. I don't think there's a risk of devaluing the industry at all. So also on that post-virus note, Katie, a 2016 Tourism, Hospitality and Event Management alumnus, reached out via her Instagram account, Lee 21 to ask what major changes will we see after the pandemic? Will things like measuring guest temperature become a reality? Speaking from a demand perspective, the recent data I collected does allude to some changes in the way people will travel. Hygiene standards, for example, is going to become more important than it has before. So this applies to hotels, airlines, public transport, public facilities, recreation facilities. People are going to be looking for that hygienic tick of approval, if you like. Crowding won't be tolerated in the short term. People might prefer to drive as opposed to fly or take other means of public transport where they're forced to, to you know, be in close proximity to others. Will we be measuring temperature? I don't think so. Jennifer, a 1974 Bachelor of Art alumnus, asks, how do you think the cruise ship industry might go about restoring its reputation and providing healthy, safe travel to guests? Okay, the cruise industry have not handled this ideally, but we have to remember that their options were limited and they are in a very difficult situation. There will always be people who love to and will want to cruise and they won't be deterred by this. However, the biggest issue the cruise industry now faces is broken trust. They are going to need to work hard to regain the trust of the traveller, not just in Australia, but globally. This is going to mean some mea culpa from their part, and the worst thing they could do right now is deny any wrongdoing. Rather, the, the industry needs to focus on accepting the wrongs and, and showing the world what changes they are making to make everything right. People are going to need convincing that cruising, which was once considered a relatively low-risk activity, again can be considered as, as just that. The association that cruising has with contracting diseases right now is presenting significant image issues for the industry. And if this isn't managed correctly, people may also hone in on the other issues that we won't talk about today that cruise companies are perceived as being responsible for and, you know, ride the prospect of cruising off indefinitely. Mm, it will be really interesting to see how they go about rebuilding that trust with us, I think. Yeah, a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, David, a 1995 Bachelor of Vet Science alumnus, posed the following question. He writes, I have a small tourism business in the Northern Territory that is a dry season only operation. With this season pretty much done, followed by our wet season low to no operation period, what do you see looking forward to dry season 2021? So April to October 2021. 
I believe that by April 21 domestically, all things tourism will be relatively normalised. The government now, is, if you read between the lines, there is a sense of or an element of confidence in terms of what, how they're looking at the future, but of course they're still remaining conservative to avoid that sense of complacency, which is a risk that if they look too confident, then the Australian community is likely to prematurely start moving around. Places like the Northern Territory will possibly see more domestic tourists than ever before, as those who might have normally travelled abroad may still see this, even in April 2021, as either too difficult or too risky. I wish I had a crystal ball to offer more certainty about this, but given the support we've received from the federal government thus far for our industry, I'm confident that places like the Northern Territory will certainly benefit from the domestic travel campaigns that we are about to see in the near future. I would recommend, David, that you capitalise on the fact that you are remote and remote destinations are going to be preferred by travellers post-COVID. And one of my biggest messages to businesses is don't stop marketing. Yes, it's probably a good idea to you know, hold on to that money that you'd normally spend on major advertising campaigns. The message here is more around don't disappear. Keep your websites active. Keep your social media sites active. They're low-cost options. My research has indicated that around 45% of tourists are planning for future travel. So just make sure you don't disappear right now and you still have a good positive message on your site that almost sends a, a welcome message to people in the future. Yeah, well, even myself, I find that I'm wanting to dream so much and plan for when we can get back on the roads. Mm -hmm. So that's a great point. Tourism Australia have a, a video that shows Australia in such a beautiful light and it speaks to the fact that things are quiet at the moment, so nature is just at its best. They're not encouraging people to travel right now, but it's planting the seeds and getting our domestic tourism market thinking about what they can do and what they can go and see once they were able to. So finally, we received a fair few questions from our alumni community asking what we can do to help support tourism recovery in Australia. One of those people was Tamar, a 2019 Bachelor of Psychological Science graduate. Tamar reached out by his Instagram account, wandering underscore monkey, to ask what is the best way Australians not involved in the tourism industry can support its recovery? Ah, uh, there's lots of ways. So the first and most obvious one is as soon as you can travel, travel, travel domestically. Dream now and explore when you can. Show our industry some hope by making inquiries about your next domestic holiday. The industry want to hear that people are considering visiting their destination. Buying local produce, wine for example, so buying wine from our wine suppliers. At the moment, wine regions all over Australia can't have their cellar doors open. So buying wine from these wine producers is going to help them. Buy takeaway meals when you can to help those food and beverage businesses keep their doors open. Grab a coffee once a day because there's lots of coffee places around that are selling takeaway coffee and just support the industry. Yeah, just keep spending the money if you've got it, of course. 
Well, I think that was quite a lovely answer to finish on and something I can definitely get around, a daily coffee. (laughs) Do you have anything else you would like to add? It's been a really, really tough time for tourism. And look, it's not over yet. There are going to be, continue to be challenges moving forward, but hang in there because we're going to get through this and we're all in it together and um, there will be some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I would actually love to know what your top pick for domestic travel in Australia is. Where's your recommended location? You know what I love? I love the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. It's one of my favourite places and I love Caloundra. I just love the regional community feel it has. I think the views over there are absolutely spectacular. The ocean walks. The weather, I just think, yeah, the Sunshine Coast is one of my most favourite places. Yeah, and how lucky are we that your favourite place in Australia is just an hour away? Exactly. Very good. Exactly. So, Dr Gabby Walters, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. If any of our listeners are interested in hearing more from you, what's the best way for them to do that? Possibly to monitor YouTube websites. If anyone wanted to email me directly, I'm more than happy to receive emails as well. Yeah, perfect. And your name does pop up in articles quite regularly, so I'm sure people are able to find you online. Thank you so, so much again for your time. Thank you very much for having me, Lucy. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Alumni Ask. If you have a question you would like answered or an expert you would like asked, let us know. You can submit your questions by emailing us at uqalumni at uq.edu.au or connecting with us on social media. If you enjoyed this episode of Alumni Ask, you might like to listen to our conversation with the head of UQ Ventures, Nimrod Clayman. For that podcast and so many more, visit our website, www.alumni.uq.edu.au. Thanks for listening and until next time, keep asking.